Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Point family, uh, really excited to be introducing the person that's bringing the scriptures to us today. Um, some of you guys who have been around for the last year, you may remember last year that Pastor Mike Bro came and twice taught us the scriptures at Lake Point Worship Gatherings. And we're always on the lookout for this, but both times he came, there was just a unique seemingly spiritual connection between the church and Mike's message. And in my personal life and in the life of our church, almost really nobody has been able to blend the incredible love of God in the scriptures and just a bleeding love for people uh, in their teaching like Mike Bro. And so we announced last year that Mike Bro this year would be joining the teaching team of Lake Point starting in 2020. And I am very excited to announce to you that today is that day. And so Lake Point family, would you please put your hands together because without further ado, it's bro time. <laughs> hey guys. Man, it's so great to, uh, to, to be with you guys again. I wanna welcome all the campuses, Forney and Firewheel, Town East, Richland, White Rock, Rock Wall, and those of you who joined us online as well, man, I'm, I'm looking so forward uh, to partnering with Josh and the team at this amazing place. And man, just from watching from the outside, it's so incredibly cool uh, what God is doing at, at all the campuses. And uh, to watch Steve and, and Josh handle the transition has been uh, just an exhibition of humility. And it's been really fun to watch that. And I couldn't be more excited than be just a tiny, tiny part of uh, Lake Point moving forward. Just a real quick quick bio for me. Uh, my name is Mike Bro. it's spelled B-R-E-A-U-X, but it's pronounced B-R-O. Most people just call me Bro. Uh, I'm originally from Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, so I say y'all like most of y'all. I've uh, done ministry all over the place. Uh, currently live in Ventura, California. I have an awesome wife named Debbie. We have three kids. We have nine grandkids which is quite an accomplishment for a 39-year-old guy. Uh, I love basketball, I love music, I love renovating houses. I wear a hoodie and a pair of shorts every day of my life, and I drive a dirty, dirty truck. Now, my Tacoma doesn't have one of these, but Debbie's car has this uh, a cool feature called a blind spot monitor. Anybody else got one of those in their car where the, kind of like a little light shows up on the side, side view mirrors that, that shows you that somebody's in your blind spot, so you better not change lanes, and I can't tell you how helpful that is in Southern California freeways to have that little tool. And I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be great to have one of those like in your life? You were learning in this series that there are just some things that kind of sneak up on you, things that could really do some big time damage if we don't regularly check our blind spots. 
I actually have three guys in my life and all my family has permission to tell me any time about any character flaws that they might see in me that I might be blind to myself. Uh, I've asked them in particular to uh, keep me in check on one character flaw. You see, I, I, got, I got this thing uh, lurking in me. And actually, you got it lurking in you too. It's this thing that creates an environment where things like envy and fear, uh, anger, e even abuse can just have a field day in your life. In fact, this, this sneaky thing keeps you and me from apologizing. It won't let us admit it when we're wrong. Makes us super defensive. Causes us to power up on people. It refuses to show vulnerability or, or to show weakness. Makes us stiff arm people when they want to help us. It's this thing that keeps us running and competing at an unhealthy level. This dastardly thing even causes you and me to lie. Exaggerate our accomplishments, pad our resume, enhance our social media profile. This thing causes us to cheat instead of lose. It won't let us celebrate when other people win. In fact, it, it, it makes us feel good when somebody else fails. This thing makes us buy stuff to impress other people, to create this image. This thing stands in the way of not only all of our relationships, but our relationship with God. Anybody want to guess what this sinister thing is? Yeah, I'm talking about pride. Now, please understand when I say the word pride, I'm not talking about having a healthy self-esteem or self-image. I'm not talking about being, being proud of our kids. I'm not talking about that great feeling of accomplishment that comes over us. We say, man, I think I, I, think I did it. Those are good and those are healthy things. I'm talking about that puffed up <laughs> sense of self-importance, an overinflated ego. I'm talking about selfishness, arrogance. Now, the person looking back at us from the mirror would never call it that. And that's the blind spot problem. I'm telling you, pride will take you out and you didn't even see it coming. So we thought that maybe we ought to ask today, how do we proactively lay our ego on the altar before God and deal with our blind spots before pride has a chance to wreck our lives? This is something I read uh, once a year uh, just for me. It's a little piece written by Beth Moore called My Name is Pride. I'm sure some of you heard this, but maybe you need to hear it again because I need to hear it regularly. She writes this, My name is Pride, and I'm a cheater. I cheat you out of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you out of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you out of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you out of healing because you're too full of me to forgive. I cheat you out of holiness because you refuse to admit it when you're wrong. I cheat you out of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out the window. I cheat you out of genuine friendship because no one's ever gonna know the real you. I cheat you out of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you out of God's glory because I've convinced you to seek your own. My name is Pride and I'm a cheater and you like me because you think I'm always looking out for you. Untrue. I'm looking to make a fool out of you. God has so much for you, I admit, but don't worry. Stick with me and you'll never know. 
See why I read it once a year? You know how two-year-olds can, can't say a whole lot? But they can master one word pretty quickly, can't they? The word is mine, mine. That's what toddlers say. And you and I get fooled into thinking that when we flex our self-importance, it makes us all big and bad. But in reality, it just shrinks us right back to toddler status. Makes us all look super small. I witnessed this guy the other day going on and on about something he did. He was exaggerating things to make the story more dramatic, make himself look more important. He even like dropped a name or two into the story for the wow factor. I'm telling you, the more this guy went on, it made him look so small. Well, the good news is I recognized it and later apologized and I, <laughs> I, I talked to God about it. I'm pretty embarrassed right now to use myself as an example of the smallness of pride, but it makes all of us look tiny. Our pride, our ego shrinks us right back to toddler size as we go through our life saying, mine. So why does God make such a big deal about pride? Because our world, our world doesn't. Pride in our culture is an irritating roll your eyes character flaw at best. But God uses some pretty strong language in regard to the prideful condition of a person's heart. Scripture says things like he detests pride. He opposes the proud. He humiliates the arrogant and will deal with those who see themselves as the great somebody. Do you remember what ego stands for? Ego stands for edging God out. That's what ego stands for, edging God out. Because that's what it does. There's a little scripture in Psalms chapter 10, verse four, that says, in his pride or in her pride, the wicked man, the wicked woman, does not seek him. In all their thoughts, there's just, there's just no room for God. It's just saying we can get so full of ourselves that there's no room for God or anybody else. We just continually edge him out. And eventually, I'm telling this from experience, your ego will lock you up in solitary confinement. It becomes this dark and lonely prison cell that keeps you in and everybody else out, including God. Because there's so much of you in your life, there's no room for anybody else. And it's just a crummy way to live your life. You know how a narcissist changes a light bulb? They just stand still and let the world revolve around them. <laughs> now, we wouldn't say it out loud. But we can all start living like that, right? Feeling like the universe does revolve around us. The, the whole purpose of life is me. And I believe that God is so strong about this because it keeps us from knowing the creator of the universe. It keeps us from experiencing his genius and his creativity and his leadership and his wisdom and his love and his acceptance and his goodness, which he knows could change everything about our life. And instead of going through our life with a grateful heart and humbly acknowledging that everything we have, everything we have, every talent, every blessing, every breath comes from a good, good father above. Pride gets us thinking that we did it all, that you are a self-made man. You're a self-made woman. I heard about a CEO and his wife who pulled into a gas station to fill up. The wife went in to get some snacks and he watched her through the window as he was pumping gas, talking and laughing with the guy behind the counter. 
Well, she comes back out. She says, hey, I saw you chatting it up with a guy in there. And she goes, this is unbelievable. That's a guy in there that I used to date in high school. And he, he started feeling cocky and says, well, I bet I know what you're thinking. I bet you're thinking that you're pretty lucky you married me, the great CEO of a great corporation and not some gas station attendant. She said, no, actually, I was thinking if I'd have married him and not you, then he'd be the CEO of a great corporation and you'd be working here. You see, there's an illusion in all of us that says, I've made myself into what I am. And Beth Moore was right. Pride does cheat us out of love in all of our relationships. Debbie and I have been married for uh, 40 years now, and I, and I can tell you with all certainty that her ego has been the number one contributor <laughs> to the breakdown. Oh, you know that's not true. But every battle we've ever had has all been about selfishness. I mean, honestly, everything is about wanting our own way. Pride definitely reduces our capacity to give and receive love. We start walking into rooms thinking, here I am. Instead of, oh, there you are. It has such a way of devaluing other people. You're always sizing up a room and ranking other people with yourself, always at the top. It's really hard for you to say those phrases that are crucial in any kind of relationship, like I love you, I'm proud of you, I need you, I was wrong, I'm sorry. You become controlling and intimidating and everybody else in your world walks on eggshells around you. They wanna say, dad, uh, you, mom, you, honey, you, boss, you, coach, you. But they're too afraid because your pride has diminished your capacity to give and receive love. Romans 12, 16 from the message translation has been a great reminder for me. I love it. It says, get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Now listen to me. All of us struggle with ego and pride and the fact that you want to nudge somebody right now or you're thinking, man, I hope so-and-so hears this. Just proves my point. All of us. All of us need to learn how to lay our ego on the altar. And there's no one better to learn that from than Jesus. He taught and modeled this radical version of humility. In fact, Jesus redefined greatness. He said greatness is actually something you descend into. So I just wanna hang for a few minutes in an awesome passage of scripture. It's found in a little book in the New Testament called the book of Philippians. It's actually a letter that was written by a guy named Paul who God tapped on the shoulder to bring the good news of Jesus all over the world. And he wrote this letter to a bunch of people living in a city called Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. And in chapter two of Philippians became one of the favorite songs, the favorite worship songs of the early church. This was a hymn that reminded them to embrace Jesus' approach to life and to lay their ego on the altar every day. And it begins with a verse that I've made every couple I've ever married memorize. It's Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, and it says this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. I think that's like the golden rule for all relationships, marriages, friendships, work relationships, classmates, all relationships. I've always liked the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. 
you and I ought to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are deeply, deeply loved. I mean, Jesus chose to go to a cross because he saw you and me as absolutely priceless. So humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. And here's how you start doing that. Verse five, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This is how you begin to lay your ego on the altar. You choose to embrace the same mindset that Jesus chose. You decide to embrace the radical approach to humility that he did. You make a conscious decision every day and you ask the Holy Spirit of God to be your blind spot monitor and remind you throughout the day that you are not the center of the universe. You roll out of bed and you say, in regard to my own self-importance today, my own ego, I choose. I choose to have the same attitude of Jesus who really is the center of the universe. I got a buddy named Keith, you'll hear me talk about, uh, just a great guy, one of my best friends, and he's had quite a, quite a journey in his life. And uh, he, Keith, just, just last week, took his six-year chip in AA, AA, and I've gotten to walk with him throughout that journey from day one. Uh, and uh, I mean, every day I would just text him, day 17, man, you know, day 18, man, day 26, man, day 67, day, you know, and all the way through the first year, we text back and forth. And, and, you know, walking with God was a brand new thing for him. And I told him every day, man, you just got to roll out of bed and re-surrender your life to God every day and say, God, I need your power today in my life. So he calls me up one day, he goes, okay, so this whole, this whole surrender to God thing's new to me. I've never really done this. Uh, so uh, see if you think this is stupid. This is what I've been doing. I set my alarm on my phone to get up every day. And, and so, so, so when I set my alarm, I'm taking my phone, I put it in my slippers, and I slide my slippers out under the bed. So when the alarm goes off in the morning, the first thing I have to do is get down on my knees to turn the alarm off. And while I'm down there, I just start talking to God. I go, dude, that's not stupid, that's brilliant. I'm telling everybody to do that, put their phone in their slippers at night, you know? And he just said, I just gotta do that, man because I was so self-centered for so long. I was King Keith. I need to hit my knees first thing in the morning and ask God to remind me that he's the center of the universe and help me make humble choices throughout the day and put other people first. It's just something you have to choose to do every day because if you don't choose to do it, you will just go down the same path in a prideful way. Verse six, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Now that phrase, though he was God, is the Greek word morpha, which literally means the essence. So this doesn't mean that Jesus was sort of like God or that Jesus had a few you know, godly characteristics or from time to time, Jesus was able to whip up a little supernatural magic. No, no, no. Who being in the very nature God the very essence God. In reality, he was God, is God, creator and sustainer of all things. Colossians 1 says that all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. God in the flesh, God incarnate, he was fully God. Even though Jesus, being in the very nature God, he said, even though I could, I'm not gonna cling to my divine rights. Even though I could, I'm not gonna power up on people. Even though it all is, I'm not gonna clench my fist and hold tightly to what is rightfully mine. I'm gonna open up my hands. And I'm gonna let it all go and I'm gonna lay my ego on the altar every day and surrender fully to the will of the Father. 
verse seven. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. I mean, think about this. Jesus came in about as much obscurity as somebody could, starting with mangers and shepherds and cow manure. Then he grew up in a, as, as a carpenter's son in a little bitty hick town, framing houses most of his life, lived in obscurity for 30 years of his life. There was no grandiosity whatsoever in Jesus. He came as a humble servant to reveal who God really is. Right before his crucifixion, some of you might remember the story how Jesus' guys are all gathered in an upstairs room. And the testosterone is flowing like it does with guys. And they're arguing about position and power and greatness. And Jesus kneels down and begin to watch, begins to wash their dirty feet. And he gives them four words that have been a game changer for me as far as a leader, as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, as a neighbor. Four words we all need to stick in our hearts so, that, so the Holy Spirit can remind us throughout the day. And here, here's the words. Matthew ch chapter 20. Jesus says, now guys, you know, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, how, how, the, how the Romans lord authority over people and their high officials exercise authority over them? Here's the four words. Not so with you. Guys, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So when you're tempted to power up on somebody this week, I pray you'll hear Jesus say, not so with you. When you're tempted to fly by all the other stalled traffic on the freeway and cut in line at the last minute, that you would hear the Holy Spirit say, not so with you. When you're tempted to grab credit this week that's not yours, not so with you. Verse eight, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now I know some of y'all might be uh, downscaling these, these days. Maybe you're an empty nester and you're going from like a sprawling ranch to a smaller condo or maybe you're going from a two-story house to a one-story house because your knees are shot or maybe you're moving out of your parents' house and you're moving into a tiny dorm room or maybe you're going from a monster truck to a, like a Prius. We all downscale eventually. But man, talk about downscaling. Jesus goes from transcending all time and space to being fenced in by Middle Eastern geography. He goes from absolute perfection to learning how to walk, having ear infections and chicken pox and zits and throwing up and experiencing hunger and exhaustion to know what it feels like to be hot, to sweat, to get the chills, to be made fun of, to be rejected, laughed at, spit upon, beaten up, stripped, humiliated, nails driven through your hands and your feet. And make no mistake about it, he did not lay down his divinity. He laid down his self. He crucified his ego. He nailed his self-interest to the cross and thus saved us all from ourselves. And all he's asking you and me to do is do the dishes without complaining. To let somebody else have the parking spot. To let somebody else have the credit at work. The one who voluntarily went to a cross is asking you and me to apologize to our spouse to pick up the phone and forgive somebody, 
to tell your coach you'll play any role whatsoever on that team, to tell somebody how much they mean to you. Jesus says, come on, just follow me, learn from me. Don't continue to allow pride to screw up your life and make you small and cheat you out of love and keep you locked up in solitary confinement. Lay your ego on the altar so you can be free to walk in humility and grace. There's a few questions that have been helpful to me that might help you as well. I found it helpful to go to God and pray that verse of scripture says, search me, oh God. Is there anything in my heart? Any blind spots I'm not seeing? Anything in me that you see that needs to get fixed? In regard to my ego, I've learned to ask this question. In what ways does pride actually play out in me? In what ways does pride actually play out in me? And get real honest with that. Now, if you don't know the answer to that, I guarantee you somebody else will. Ask them, what do you see? Do you think I have a pride problem? If they get real quiet and look at the ground, you probably got your answer. But be honest, just ask God, ask somebody else, ask yourself, how does it play out in me? Do I tend to exaggerate? Do I do the humble brag thing? Do I get defensive with people? Do I get consumed with how I look? Do I, do I take an inordinate number of selfies? Do, do, I, do I compare the number of Twitter followers somebody else has and why? Do I have trouble showing affection? Do I have a hard time showing weakness? Is it pride that keeps me from being vulnerable enough to get the help that I need? Just be honest and, and invite the Holy Spirit to be your blind spot monitor asking, what does pride look like in me? How does it play out in me? Then the second question I found helpful is this, how does pride disguise itself in me? Because pride is really, really good at masquerading. I mean, it'll fake you out. I was uh, driving one day listening to a sports talk show. And this guy on the show was just, he, he just really kind of arrogant guy. But he was defending himself to a caller. He says, I'm not, I'm not arrogant. I'm just confident. And I thought, no, dude, you're, you're arrogant. Because pride can disguise itself with intellect, with quick wit, with fashion, fitness, religion, ethnicity, financial status, even false humility. I mean, you can do good things, noble things. You can do kind things. And still, you know it's all about craving recognition and praise. So you got to get real honest and ask, in, in what ways does pride disguise itself in me? And then the big question to ask is, how much longer am I going to let pride control my life? Why would I let a known assassin continue to take shots at me? When am I finally going to embrace the liberating lifestyle of Jesus and walk free from myself? I tweeted this one day when I was working on this talk, and I hope you'll follow me and really like it. I'm just kidding. I'm to <laughs> totally not. But this is what I tweeted. I wish I'd been more selfless throughout my life. And I say that selfishly. What I mean by that is I've been learning this is just a much better way to live, man. To lay your ego on the altar and let God be God and put other people first. I've, I've I played basketball all my life. I still love to play, but man, I'm, I'm terrible. The three-point line has become like an electric dog fence for me. I don't even want to step inside because it hurts when I get in there. And not, 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 getting, not, not long ago, I was playing. There was a loose ball about three feet from me, and I thought, somebody needs to get that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not bending, no, I'm not getting on the floor for that thing. I mean, it's, it's terrible now. 
But uh, all my life I've, I've played and I've just known everywhere I've been that trash talk is just a part of it. If, you, if, if you're, a, you're a baller, you know, where, whether it's a pickup game at the YMCA or the NBA or, or on, a, on a playground, trash talk is a part of the game. And I've just been praying that maybe today you would get the resolve to really get after this and even talk a little smack, saying stuff like, hey, pride, yeah, talking about you. I see you. I see you in my blind spot. And you know what? I am sick of you cheating me out of life, out of love, out of joy. You're not the boss of me. You're not the center of the universe. You're not ruling my life. You got nothing. Hey, pride, watch this. I'm going to help that person over there. And I'm not going to expect any recognition or praise. In fact, no one's ever going to know about it. And check this out. I'm going to walk over here right now, and I'm going to hug my son. Yeah. I'm going to tell him how proud I am of him, even though he didn't follow the career path I thought he should, even though he didn't play the same sport as I played. I'm going to brag on my daughter. Yeah. I'm going to tell her I love her because it's been way too long since she has heard those words come out of my mouth. You know what else? Probably watch this. I'm going to hold hands with my wife. Yeah. Check that out. I'm going to give her the remote control. Yeah. Take that. Take that pride. Hey, ego, check it out. I'm going to grab coffee with a friend. I'm going to finally let this old grudge go. And watch this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get some help. I'm finally going to admit that I got an addiction because I'm tired of you telling me, oh, you can handle it. It's not that big a deal because I can't, and it is a big deal. And you know what? You know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to marriage counseling. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get some help with my finances too. And you know what else? I'm going to surrender my life every day to the power and control of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to start walking with God every day. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to talk to God like he is God and not me because I am sick of you controlling me. So, so long self, good riddance pride, later ego, we are through. I love the last paragraph for this passage in Philippians 2. It's about what happened as a result of Jesus' humble approach to life. It says, therefore, therefore God elevated him. God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus made it clear the best way up is down. So what do you say we get after this sinister thing called pride and follow his example? And I would just suggest we start like right now. So I would like to lead all of us at all of our campuses in a, just a time of kind of focused prayer about different things. And maybe you could bow your head. I've even found it helpful sometimes to kind of turn my palms up in a spirit of surrender on my lap however you want to do this, but let's bow our heads together and let's just work through some prayer. Maybe uh, we could all start by saying, if it applies to you, God, would you drive selfishness out of my life, especially as it relates to my family right now? Help me to put my ego on the altar, empty myself, and choose the same attitude Jesus had with all the people under my roof. Maybe you could pray, God, would, would you drive selfishness out of my life? 
as it relates to my friends because it, it causes me to be envious and I play that stupid comparison game. It prevents me from truly rejoicing with those who rejoice and I wanna be able to celebrate. God, would you drive selfishness out of my marriage? Because I'm only responsible for what I bring and I don't wanna bring my ego anymore. I don't wanna bring self-interest. I don't wanna have to win. I don't wanna bring self-centeredness. I just wanna bring a humble person that surrendered self to my marriage. Maybe you could pray, God, I need you to drive selfishness out of my workplace because I gotta go back to work tomorrow. And just being real honest, God, I've, I've had a terrible attitude lately. I've been, I've been thinking, yeah, but what about me? What about me? And I just wanna surrender that to you. And I ask for help to choose a non-complaining, non-cynical, positive attitude as I go back to work. I want you to shape me into the right kind of person in that place. Or maybe you could pray, God, I ask you to sweep selfishness out of my relationships to school. Because sometimes, God, I get a big head and I get real self-centered, even judgmental toward other people. Help me not to focus so much on me. Help me to never take part in making fun or bullying other people, but to always stand with the underdog the way Jesus would. Show me ways to serve so people can see the light of Jesus in my life. Or maybe you could pray, God, in my church, I pray that I would never be the reason for a lack of oneness, for a lack of community. God, drive away from me any hint of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Help me to see the people sitting in a row with me as better than myself. Give me the power to honor other people, to attach a high price tag to them. And forgive me for the times, God, when I've tried to be the great somebody. Father, we're all in the same boat in regard to our pride and ego. And we just wanna tell you today, we're ready to choose to embrace the same attitude that Jesus walked through life with. We are ready to lay our ego on the altar. And right now in this moment, we're asking the Holy Spirit to be our blind spot monitor as we leave this place. Remind us throughout the day today and, and tomorrow and the rest of the week when, when our pride starts to rear its ugly head. Because we, we wanna live free. We'll live lightly and we wanna live graciously with people. So like Jesus today, we want to lay down ourself. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital.